we start our Wicked Pisser podcast, I just want to tell the Dopey Nation that whether you're a junkie, a crackhead, a stoner, a loser, a retard, or even a normie, you know that we at Dopey love and support you. Whether you enjoy a wicked dark beer, or maybe just a Budweiser or a Harpoon, or a nice cup of chowder, or if you're a statey listening in your squad car parked down by the Mystic River in Charlestown, Dopey loves you. Or maybe you're in Dorchester sitting down to supper in the parlor to watch the Sox with a clicker in one hand and a lobster in the other, reminiscing about your longtime childhood friend, Marky Mark. Dopey loves you. If you're on the run like mobster Whitey Bulger, it doesn't matter. Dopey loves you. And if your name is Marky, Ricky, Danny, Terry, Mikey, Davey, Timmy, Tommy, Joey, Robbie, Johnny, and Brian. Take my word for it. I mean, not for nothing, it's a wicked pisser podcast. Whether you're here, there, or everywhere. Yours truly, Bobby. This episode is brought to you by Work It Health, now offering medication in California and Michigan and coaching and addiction courses in all 50 states. Get treatment from your living room. Work It Health provides online counseling, online evidence-based lessons, that help you live without drugs and medication-assisted treatment like Suboxone and Vivitrol when needed. Your Work It program can be done together with the 12 steps or as a standalone solution. Get help at home. Visit workithealth.com dopey now to sign up or just to get more info. That's workithealth.com dopey. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, uh, recovery, and dumb shit. Do you think it should have recovery in the thing? Sure. You do? Why not? Okay. Because um, it doesn't sound as good as drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Did I say I'm Dave? I don't remember. And I'm Dave. And um, before we even start, my friend Justin's here, so say a quick hello. Hello, dopes of the dopey nation. Hello, dopes of the dopey nation. I don't say dopes unless it's in writing. In oh. writing, the dopey nation seems very formal. So I say, what up, dopes, in writing? If they were here, I wouldn't say it to their face. But since they're so far away, I feel safe calling them all dopes. It's easy for you to say this because you have to understand one thing. You can know a lot of things about Justin. One thing is he's a, he's a very professional person. I don't want to give away too much because he's scared that anybody in his profession will hear he's on dopey. But two, he listens to dopey every fucking week. So when he says that they're so far away, he's actually a card-carrying member of the Dopey Nation. I didn't think about that before, but I guess I am actually because I do listen every week and I give you uh, I give you my thoughts and feedback. I count I count on Justin's opinion. And, I, and listen, to, to be fair, Justin is a, an old friend, a very good friend, very smart person, one of the smartest people I ever met. Um, and I don't say that uh, easily or lightly, but Justin thinks he's one of the smartest people I've ever met either. So he's not it's like probably true. He's not correcting me. Um, I would love to tell Justin's story because it's like one of my favorite stories to tell. Justin met me at work today, and whenever I introduce Justin to anybody, I tell his story. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? I like it. I love it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do a quick version of the story right, without without any fine. details. I met Justin when. Um, we were teenagers. I was a, a freshman in college, and I had played in a ska band in high school called the Percolators. Best band name I was ever in, by far. Um, Percolators, good band name. Um, and the band was pretty good, too. 
Band was, I mean, we were like pussies, you know, from nerd school in New York City and, and the ska scene. You know, nowadays you say ska scene and everybody's thinking of these wacky, no terrible... No one knows what it means. No one knows what it means now. Um, yeah. But back then, I'm talking about 1990, 1991, 90, that shows how old we are, 1992 in New York. It was like this very weird, skinhead-driven, kind of rough scene in, in lower Manhattan. And it was very funny because the music was so goofy... You know, but it was also pretty. There was some hardness to the music, but it, but we had played in this band, and Justin uh, was a trumpet player, and he. Were you always in Long Island, or were you in, you just moved back? Um, in high school, I lived there. Right. Yeah. And you, he had he had loved ska music and stuff. And uh, did you ever see the Percolators? No, but I was friends with Ruben, who was uh, the sax player. Yeah. Ruben the Skin. He was a, he was a skater and. Uh, very funny guy. I could tell stories about him, but maybe he's listening, so I will... I'll he's not listening. <laughs> describe... Just, just describe what a... Because these are kids. Describe what a skinhead in 1991 looked like. Well... They probably I, look like a skinhead now. Yeah, I mean, like you would imagine, they would wear like a... Like a... Uh, one of those cheap flight jackets from an Army-Navy store and uh, jeans that were tapered. They would taper the legs because back then there was only one kind of jeans you could buy, so you would taper the legs yourself. They didn't have skinny jeans. Um, and uh, and Dr. Martin boots, um, and like a Fred Perry shirt, and maybe some skinny suspenders, which they would call braces. Why would they call them braces? Because that's what they called them in England, and the whole thing came from England. Right. And so, Justin, you didn't, but you didn't, you didn't, how did you even stumble into, into our world? I was, um... I don't even know this story. My next door neighbors, um, when I was 13, um, well, there were a few neighbors on my street, um, two brothers, uh, who skated and had a giant half pipe in their backyard that they had built. And, uh, and another neighbor down the street from them, um, who had, uh, a record player in his own stereo in his room, so you thought which he was, was cool. like a big deal. Um, and he had a, a, a lot of records and we would hang out at their half pipe and then we would go to my friend's house who had the record player and he'd play records and, um, you know, he would play, he liked hardcore music. So he would play like sick of it all and gorilla biscuits and all of those bands, minor threat, Fugazi. And, um, I liked it. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. But then one day, um, he played operation Ivy and that was kind of a life changing moment for me. Um, and I guess it was like 1989 and um, ever since then, you know, that's the kind of music I liked. Well, Operation Ivy is a, is a pretty far leap from, like, the Ethiopians or something. Well, yeah, but you start with that, and then you realize that it's kind of a derivative thing, that it's it's cool, but it's not, you know, it's not something you listen to your whole life. And then my another friend of mine found out that I liked Operation Ivy, and he said, if you like them, you'll like this band called The Specials. And um, so he made me a tape of The Specials, uh, and on the back of the tape, because the specials album fit on one side of a tape, he had uh, the Scottalites, and he put it on the other side. I bet you there's a ton of tapes out there like that. Yeah, with the specials on one side and the and the I always said it was the Scottalites. Scottalites, whatever. Either way, listen, Dopey Nation. If you have a chance and you have one of these music services, fucking get the specials. The specials. It's like, it'll change your life. It's one of the best albums ever. But most people probably yeah. never heard it. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're on Spotify or you're on Apple Music. Just type in the specials, the specials. It's going to blow you away. It's yeah. amazing. There was a guy that, um, one of the guys who died, um, 
Dave Marshall. Uh, he was a big Dopey fan, and he overdosed. He, um, I remember right before he died, he wrote me, and he was like, he was crazy workout guy, super healthy fitness guy. He owned a gym. He like would make videos of himself pulling two hundred pound sleds in his gym and climbing walls and shit. And he was like, he was like, Dave, I need a, a record to listen to, an amazing record. And I, and I, I was like, well, have you listened to the Violent Femmes record? And he's like, I've heard that a million times. I was like, well, have you listened to, you know, I don't know what, what I said, but I said, have you ever listened to the specials, the specials? And he said, no, and he listened to it. He couldn't believe, you know, that's the, it's like that kind of a record. Yeah. Nobody gets to hear it if they're not from New York and that era, you know. Yeah, in like the, England uh, or California. But the late 80s in New York, like everyone in my high school was like the specials, you know, there was yeah. like cool kids listening to the specials in the late 80s in New York City. Right, because it was only a few years old at that point. It came out in 1979, so it was only like 10 years old when I heard it. That's funny. Yeah. But it's perfect. So I recommend listening to it. Anyway, uh, it's getting very off the dopey path. And and the thing I wanted to really start with was just to say how um how obviously different the show is going to be without Chris, you know. Um I miss Chris every day and I I I don't listen to old episodes very often. But once in a while, like, I'm just curious to, to see what it sounds like. And I'll put it on, and it was, like, it's so funny. You know, and we didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, the show, we did care. But when we did the show, we made sure to try not to care. And, like, it was so funny. And Chris, like, he was so chill and, like, so didn't give a fuck. And, like, he, he's just and so sweet. And, and, like, he was great. And, like... And now I'm kind of left holding the bag and, like, how do I make the show when Chris isn't alive? So my solution to making the show, because Chris's thing, you know, the drug stories were obviously the thing that brings you to the table. But for me, the reason that I love doing the show with Chris was because of the vibe. Because, like, talking to him was fun. He was interested in what I had to say. He had great stories, but the interplay was funny. He also didn't know anything. That yeah. was the be- I think that was kind of one of the best things about him from a, the perspective of someone who never actually met him was... Um, you never met him, but you I listened to him. every always, episode. You know, it's weird because I, I was shocked when I heard that he had died, and I, I just sort of always assumed that at some point soon I would meet him. Um, you talked to him once. You were on the show yeah, once. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, but, you know, listening to him, I thought that, you know, I thought you two had good chemistry, obviously, and, and you're like the the mean guy and he's like the nice guy. Um, and he seemed like a, very, a genuinely nice guy. Um, but I always thought it was funny that he didn't know anything about anything other than like pharmacology and psychobabble and recovery. And, and yeah, and of course re- rehab and recovery and everything to do with being a drug addict. But you know, like you would always say like that your path into drug addiction was through like music and the sixties culture and things drug that, culture things that you thought were cool. Yeah. Um, that that led you into it and you know you started smoking pot when it went along with the music you listened to and the whole scene you were in and and that eventually you did dope but but chris was more like someone who's just like in like eighth grade and decided that he wanted to smoke crack which is a completely different path you know from what from what you took and i thought it was it was interesting you know the way that that you two would interact because you would say things that you would just assume he knew that every person knows and uh, well, he didn't know anything like who though. Three Dog Night is no, but that's and, like and that. he would be like he would have no idea, and then he would play he'd try to play that horrible music on the show sometimes, 
and be like, oh, I found this really good song. And it'd be like the literally the worst song you could possibly imagine. Uh, and he would be genuinely, he would genuinely think it was good, which was like endearing. Well, he also had this thing, you know, and he mentioned it on the show a few times and you had to, you have to really be an expert dopey fan to know about it. Chris like was so dumb about so many things that he acted stupider. So it just seemed like, he, you know, he, it was like this cushion he would give himself. He would act like he didn't know anything and it was shtick to protect him from the stuff that he actually didn't know. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so obviously, it's very, very hard to do the show without him. So my, my solution, you know, a lot of people in the Dopey Nation have reached out and said, I want to, you know, I don't want to be Chris, but I want to do the show with you. Let me do the show with you. And frankly, I think that's flattering and cool. But like the only reason that, um, I don't know, the only reason that I really love doing the show was because the vibe with Chris was fucking great and effortless and sweet and fun and comfortable. It's like, so the people that I've asked to host the show with me haven't been addicts, you know what I mean? So that's like a problem in, like, trouble in dopey land, you know? The people I've had host the show with me have not been addicts, but they've been my friends. So I figured, you know, when I do the show alone, it's like, hello, I'm in the attic and everything is okay, I think. You know, it's very, like, stilted. It's not chill and it's not, it's not the way I want to do the show. You know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking to the microphone as if it's a person. I think you need to, like, practice, jump up and down and do, like, jumping jacks and, like, you know, do, like, rocky air punches and then, you know, get on the mic and start calling your audience, like, you know, hey, motherfuckers, you know, like... Joe that, Rogan style. Or is that what Mark he does? Marin style. Does he say, hey, motherfuckers? They seem, you know, they seem to like try to amp themselves up by like cursing and, and like, I do that too. Know, yeah. I'm, I fucking do that all the time. Right. Yeah. I start cursing and I'm like, oh, I'm cool. <laughs> it's like, this, I'm natural. If I, you know, I do, I do that all the time. Or like if I'm talking to somebody who I think is tough, I'll start cursing so they think I'm tough. Yeah. You know? But like cursing really does help. But I think eventually, I mean, Justin, I talked to Justin about this last week. I was like, I don't think the last episode was as good as it should be and blah, 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 blah. And Justin was like, you should start practicing doing it alone. Um, And I don't know how I feel about that because my broadcasting idol is Howard Stern and he never did it by himself. He never would. Right. Wouldn't you say? No, of course. He always like midgets and no but he had robin yeah he had fred he had jackie he had artie um new artie lang update by the way you curious yeah of course this week i was very depressed about the show so i always reach out to artie just to see what's up you know so i said um yo artie um let me read it i said uh I said, I said, my show is kind of dying. Do you want to save its life? And then he didn't write back. And then the next morning I wrote, it's all so fucking depressing, man. Playing the help me card. And he says, (laughs) are you okay? And I said, yeah. And he says, you don't feel like using. And I said, no, because I don't feel like using. Um, And he says, okay. And I said, I'm just pissed. And he said, 
how am I going to save your show's life? I can't get a job. And I said, you're probably not going to because you don't want to. What do you mean you can't get a job? Aren't you on crashing? And he said, yeah, but that's not a real job. You don't get show business, which is a compliment. And I said, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) That's hysterical. I said, I don't, but I have a vision. The vision is that if you did dopey with me and talked about addiction and recovery and helped people, it would help you. I think that's totally true. It would help me, and it would put you back on the map, like as a major comeback pseudo-success story. And then I put in quotes, people might like a story like that. And he wrote, Pacino won, because it's from The Godfather. Yeah. And then I wrote, ha, 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 I'm serious. I know you can see it. It's so fucking obvious. My show is dying without Chris. It's so sad, and I miss him a lot. And then he writes, stop texting. <laughs> and then I wrote... Is that what he... That he writes that to you all the time, right? He writes, stop texting. I wrote copy. And then what did he write underneath it? I will call you today. Now ask and me the question. And then he didn't call you. And then I wrote... Yo, what are you doing tonight? You didn't call. <laughs> And there it is. But that's exciting. It, <laughs> it's great. It could, he could come back. It's great. He could come back. It's great. Now, as a member of the Dopey Nation, do you find my, my obsession with Artie Lang to be disheartening? No. I mean, well, I know you, so I find it to be in keeping with your character generally for the entire 25 years that I've known you. Why do you think I'm so comfortable in you, being you, annoying? You, you obsess about, like, you were obsessed with getting on the Howard Stern show, right? And you did that. Um I remember when we made the record, you know, where we 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 stalked Bobby Condors and got him to play it on Hot 97. That was an right? amazing, amazing thing. Um, you know, these types of things are the things you do. You get an idea in your head that you're going to meet this person. It's going to be great. They're going to like you because you're <laughs> meant to be friends with each other or something. I never and, think and, that. Well, I... or whatever, but you do it. Most people wouldn't do it. Most people would be too, you know, would be too self-conscious or afraid. I just live for the adventure, you know, like to put yourself out into a situation like that or to take a risk or whatever, you know what I mean? Like I, and I think like the adventure is, uh, and that's why Chris wanted to do Dopey because he knew that I loved the adventure of, of doing what you want. Right. You know what I mean? And to, and like, who cares? You know what I mean? What one thing I'm finding though is like, you know, my friends don't necessarily find me annoying. You don't find me annoying. I wouldn't be your friend if I found you annoying. Right. But, like, other people find me annoying. And it's weird. I could see why. Why? I don't know. I mean, I don't find you annoying, but I remember we would go out to have, the, you know, find food or something at night. Right. And go into, you know, around in this neighborhood here. And somehow you would get into an altercation with someone at the counter <laughs> At like 11 o'clock at night in the donut shop. I did that often. Like almost every time we went out. Yeah. And you would always, you would do two things. You would always talk to any attractive girls on the street. You're going to get me in trouble. Just say hello to them. Yes. And try to start up a conversation about their dog or whatever. And you would also start fights with people, not in an aggressive way, but like something about you triggered them so that they became, you know, hostile. I wonder why what it is. But that would ha- those two things would happen almost one of those two things or both would happen almost any time I was with you outside of your apartment. 
that there would be me talking up some kind of attractive... And they were talking... We're, just so everybody knows, we're talking about 20 years ago. Yes. Not since I've yes. been in a committed of relationship. Of course. of course. You know, when I was a young, handsome young man yes. out on the town. And the one thing I always loved is that you never would like... You, would ne- you were not one of these people that would look at a girl and say, oh, she's too hot for me. I'm not going to try. You would always try. <laughs> Every time you would try. It didn't matter. It could be a supermodel. And you would go and say, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Every time. And they would always talk to you, which always shocked me. Because I always figured if I did that, they would tell me to get lost. Well, my, my, um, my fiancé or my, my partner was like the hottest. You know, she yeah. was so beautiful. She still is. She's yeah. very, very beautiful. But it's like, why not, you know? Give it a right. shot, you know? Right. Now, another thing I, I want... I, Justin, you guys should know who Justin is. Because Justin uh, brought a very important thing to life in terms of dopey justin wrote um good so bad with me many yes, years ago yes um and uh justin and i played in bands and uh it was such a fucking uh i remember it was one day we were hanging out with this total guy that was friends with us named peter who was a very difficult person and he was an amazing singer and songwriter and he left and me and justin were like I feel like we leaned on Peter a lot for stuff. And and Justin wrote a bunch of good songs. And I was like, I, and I wrote a lot of bad songs. And um, I was like, we should just write a song. And I had these chords. And we always would dream. Me and Justin, like, the reason that me and Justin became so close is because we dreamed. We dreamt. Would we dream, dream or dreamt? Dream, dream, dreamt, yeah. We dreamed together about big ideas, you yes. know? And, like, we wanted to be in a great band we wanted to play in a great band. And, uh, and Justin, me and, I played harmonica in Justin's band when, uh, in the early 90s, and they were a pretty good band. And they played around New York, and they got a record deal, and they made a record. And I played harmonica on one of the lost tracks on the end of the record. Um, and then we decided to try another band, and it was kind of like this weird sort of psychedelic dance hall fusion jam band jam band kind of thing and it was really good but by the time we had started it i was on heroin and i think that uh, and i was making my tv show and i was feeling like pretty like invincible at the time and um and we wrote good so bad in the very beginning of that period and we were so psyched you know we were so psyched when we wrote it and I remember we recorded at this guy, John's, John, who's been on Dopey a bunch of times, his loft in Porchester. And I remember, because I remember going into the bathroom at Porchester and doing dope. I wasn't shooting it yet. I would pour it on the back of my hand and I would sniff it. And I was like, I was like this is the best life ever. You know, I get to get high. I get to record music. We get to, like, dream. Then I go to work and I make a TV show. I was like... I was like, I, as far as I was concerned, I was like Miles Davis crossed with John Lennon. Like, I was just like the best, you know. Yeah. And, and re- in reality, I was living in a low-income low studio. I had a shitty little show, and our band was nothing. But that dope made me think that everything was just the best it could be. Yeah. It was yeah. that honeymoon heroin phase. Yeah, and we also, we also did have really great high expectations for what we could accomplish at that point. Um, and we used to talk about it all the time and the song good so bad as I remember it, we were talking about it before. I mean, I think we were just talking about the type. I think I said something like, I want to be good so bad. 
and and you said we should make a song out of that or something like that. Well, we would we would pine for for greatness, like, and it's like it's funny because it it really the song has always really struck a chord with people in recovery and people suffering with addiction, and it's pining for something like great or sublime or divine. Right, which is a lot of the reason I think that people become addicted. Really, I mean, I think it's you know. I don't know all about the psychology of it, but, you know, I think it's a, a, a part of it is searching for something, um, you know, transcendental, right? I mean, like searching for something that's that's more beyond what you currently experience. Right. And that's a lot of people's paths. And then there's people like Chris who just were, were oblivion seeking, as you like to say, and a ton of the dopey nation are oblivion seeking. But they all know that this better thing is out there. and uh, and, and we were talking about... I think a lot of it had to do with, like, we were very scrubby, you know, and we enjoyed being scrubby, but we also wanted to be good, you know? Yeah. Like, we wanted to be good at playing music. We wanted to be good at writing songs. We wanted to be good at whatever we were doing. And you were like, I want to be good so bad. And, uh, and we were like, that's a song, you know? Yeah. And then we wrote the song. I had chords for this other retarded song that I'm not going to play, but maybe. Why not? Maybe. You think I should play it? Well, play the first, like... 30, but don't play the five minute version. Play like the, play the. It was a song I had written called Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. And uh, it has the same chords as Good So Bad. And it would go, it would go, it'd go, Wake up and smell the coffee. You make me sick. You make me sick. And if resistance is futile, then give up. Just give up And one of these days it's gonna fall We must stand tall Or not at all And one of these days It's gonna fall I was like I left my house on Saturday it was 10.30. I don't want to... That's where it starts to... I love that story. Good. I love the story part. <laughs> One day I'll give you the whole version of Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. It There's starts some, off pretty strong. You think so? Yeah. It's, you know, anyway, so we played it off those chords and, and it became good so bad. And it was... And then, we, I remember we went to... At the time for me, like, Peter was the singer-songwriter. So we were trying to record Peter's songs, you know. You had some songs that, that Peter would would finesse up yep. and they were all reggae songs and um, and uh, I had written Good So Bad and uh, or we had written Good So Bad and I had written uh, If I'm Not Home I'm Out Walking Around which is the dopey theme song right and Forever In Debt and I had, but we didn't record Forever In Debt we recorded uh, Girl Of Mine oh Girl Of Mine right which I love that recording do you ever, Girl of Mine. Do you ever have um, Dave on the show Dave who oh DK yeah no no. You should have him on the show. He doesn't want to do it. Why not? Um, I don't know. Wasn't the song about his girlfriend? Yeah. Well, the song, he, the song, we're not going to play that song, but I should, I should play that song because it's actually a really good recording. And there are parts that we sang harmony that I loved on that yeah, song. Yeah. Um, but the song was about his girlfriend who was, had been to jail and he wrote the, he didn't write the song. He wrote, well, this girl of mine, she's done some time. And right. then I wrote the rest of the song. Right. Um, 
But we recorded that song. So one day we recorded Good So Bad. We recorded three songs, I think, that day. We recorded Good So Bad, uh, If I'm Not Home, I'm Out Walking Around, and Girl of Mine. I have to say, that of all the people, of all the shady people that used to hang around your apartment or around you generally, that girl <laughs> freaked me out more than any of Which them. Which one? The Girl of Mine girl. No, you're thinking of my girlfriend. No, no, no. You're thinking of Dave's girlfriend, I Jenny? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Blonde, yeah. thin. Oh, yeah, she's nuts. She was she was crazy. She still is. Yeah. She's nuts. Yeah. She's nuts. Yeah, she's, like, wild. She was, like, this very... She was a raver girl, and she was, like, totally dangerous. And she did she, not give a fuck. She didn't give a fuck. My friend Aurora just saw her and said she has a hearing aid in both ears now. And she has, like, three kids, and she still smokes weed and fucking lives hard, takes pills, whatever. She's very sweet, though. Yeah. She's a very interesting woman. And I think that, like, I think that a lot of her problem was that she couldn't hear, like, her whole life. Wow. Like, and, like, and like you, I think this is a good lesson for the dopey nation. If you know somebody who's, like, they don't give a shit and there seems like there's something wrong with them, maybe they're deaf. <laughs> Are you sure she didn't go deaf from OxyContin or something? I don't think so. I think maybe she went deaf from, like, crazy rave music, but I don't think so. But so, just to keep on the path here. Actually, um, I think we should take a break and, uh, and play a voicemail. And... Um, we went long. I mean, we're going we're going long here. Um, this is a voicemail from Jeremy Taylor, and uh, I think you'd love Jeremy Taylor. The thing about Jeremy Taylor, I hope that's his name. The thing about Jeremy Taylor that I find very weird, he was a member of the Dopey Nation. You worried about the train? No, it's okay. You're gonna be. It's gonna yeah, be it's fucked fine. up. It's gonna be whatever it is. Um, Jeremy Taylor was a member of the Dopey Nation Facebook group. And um, he sent in this voicemail. It's a good voicemail. And then he wrote me a bunch of messages that he wanted to participate in the show. And I was like, okay, And because his voicemails were really good. He actually, he works on a tugboat on the Mississippi River, someplace between Louisiana and Ohio, wow. just sailing back it's and like forth. like Mark Twain. Yeah. And uh, he's like sailing back and forth on the Mississippi, sending in voicemails to Dopey. And he had sent in this one, which is kind of long, and he had sent in a really funny short one, which was like about he was cleaning his needles and he wound up drinking the bleach. And he had like a cup of soda in one hand and a cup of bleach in the other, and he's cleaning his oh. needles with the bleach and he wound up drinking the bleach, which is really funny. But I was going to play that voicemail, and I can't find the message because he's got not on Facebook anymore. He's just gone. He's disappeared. So I'm worried about Jeremy Taylor or maybe I'm just so stupid I couldn't find him. So Jeremy Taylor, if you're listening to Dopey, please write in. This is his first voicemail that he sent in right when Chris died. What's happening, Dopey Nation? My name is Jeremy Turner. I've just recently uh, got a little clean time. But I guess I want to tell a story. Dave said leave it under five minutes. So right now we're at 20 seconds. Let's see if I can do it. All right. Just drank my coffee, and it's uh, starting to kick in. So just a little history on me. I've been in and out of the rooms for years, probably since 2003. And Chris is probably the only one that I've heard that's had the stories that I've had. And very unfortunate. Rest in peace. Um... But this story is about the first time I ever did Oxycontin 
and shot meth. So I had a friend, a buddy. He calls me up. I had just got my student loans at school. And he calls me up and he's like, man, remember when we were talking about back in the day, we want to shoot up. So I said, yeah, yeah. So I had all this, I had like $1,000 in my pocket, which at that time was, you know, could have been a million, seemed like a million. And he said, well, I've, there's this stuff called Oxycontin. This is circa 1998, 99. And he's like, man, I got, I got this guy's got this thing called Oxycontin. It's almost like heroin. He said, so I drove over there, and I've never shot up before. And he tells me, he, he, he says, I'm going I'm to fix you up. He fixes me up. And I get just, it was a 20. I think it was an Oxy 20. So he shoots me up, and I get just completely out of it and throwing up. And opiates has never been my thing. Um, I'm throwing up, man. And I'm like, dude, what are we going to do about this? I said, man, you think if we got went and got some meth, and this is back before Mexican ice. This is, this is... This is back in the anhydrous ammonia days where, we, you know, where everybody, every redneck in town was cooking it. So we drive about 60 miles to go get this meth, okay? And I just bought this new car, and uh, we get the meth, pull in the back of this cemetery. And he's just one of those guys who... Uh, when he's fixing up, he has a routine, right? He doesn't sl- He doesn't make it faster. And I'm just this anxious person that's like, oh, fuck, let's just get it over with, right? I'm just right now, 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 you know. But he's taking his time. He's doing all, you know, preparations. I won't go into detail, but he's taking his freaking time. Finally, we get to the part where he where he shoots me up with this meth. And it brings me out of the Oxycontin stupor. You know, I'm not sick anymore, and I'm just crazy, insanely high. All right, so we were both musicians. I play guitar and sing, and he he was the bass player. And so we get this fucking crazy idea. Hey, dude, let's go get your bass and your amp, and we'll drive back to my place, which is 60 miles away, Monroe, Louisiana, and we'll... We'll jam, because that's what we do when we was high on meth. We'd just get together, and we'd play every song we knew, and we would just play to our fingers bled. And so we get to his house, and it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're putting this big 412 cabinet bass amp into my little fucking Honda Civic trunk, and the police, which is a one-horse town, you know, one cop, and he goes down, and it's like the house is catty corner on the block, so... He goes down one side of the house, and then he goes down the other house, and he's creeping, man. He is looking for us almost over five minutes. But, Dave, you know, get over it. All right. Uh, He sees us. You know, he sees what we're doing, and we're looking at him, and he's looking at us, and he's a good 75 yards away. And so he creeps on back, and I said, well, tell you what I'll do. I'll follow him out to the outskirts of town, and when he turns right back towards town, we'll turn left out of town. Great idea. Wonderful. So, granted, I'm in college, uh, freshman year, just got my student loans. I got to go to class the next day, and I'm up shooting fucking, not, 
I, I'm really not afflicted yet. Uh, I had been to rehab once, but I didn't really feel like I was afflicted then. This was just like an experimentation night. So he, the cop turns right back towards town. We turn left to the outskirts of town. Well, lo and behold, the motherfucker turns around, does a U-turn, and he pulls us over. Well, I, I mean, as far as I knew, we didn't have anything. So he stops us, and my buddy had ran from the cops a few weeks earlier. He had passed out at the wheel, and then when they showed up to the scene, he ran from them. Now, as soon as the cop sees him, he says, oh, you're not going to run again, are you? And I'm like, oh, man, shit, what the fuck, you know? Uh, and he gets me out of the car, which, I, you know, he could tell we were high. I mean, I was still tasting the ether in my breath. It was just ridiculous. And he knew we was high. So he's like, man, you got, y'all got anything in the car? I'm like, no, we don't have nothing in the car. We don't have nothing in the car. So... All of a sudden, so he searches me, doesn't find anything. He searches my car, doesn't find anything. And, and that's it. Well, once he searches everything, he's about to write me a ticket because I owed a ticket and I didn't pay it, so they suspended my license. So I was driving on suspension, which meant I was going to have to go to jail just for that night, which wasn't bad. They just towed my car. Boom, that's it. Tow my car, pick it up the next morning, get out You know, on a... Uh, on reconnaissance barn, uh, uh, bond and my buddy takes off running into this pasture and so the cop's saying oh we're gonna catch you we're gonna catch you I'm gonna call the dogs we're gonna call the dogs he's gonna eat your ass up so I'm like fuck so the cop handcuffs me again alright and he puts me in the car in handcuffs goes to search in my car and this time he takes my book bag out and I've got in this little three ring binder I've got a half ounce of weed in this three ring binder that he didn't find oh man and then he found it so if not for my friend I would have gotten away with that so now I'm going to jail for uh, uh, possession of weed and suspended license so I'm like fuck I'm fucked but I've got like $800 in my pocket so I'm not really that worried about it super fucking high Okay, so they call the dogs. They get the sheriff to come with the canines, and you know, by the time they bring the canines, we're already they're already in transport to bring me to the prison. So, my first night shooting oxycotton, which at the time we thought was the best next thing to heroin, and shooting meth, I go to jail with all this money in my pocket, my student loans, and uh, yeah, man, it just goes to show that. <laughs> the signs were there it's like my grandmother says there was uh stop signs and i blew through every one of them so I, it's eight minutes dude sorry about that love you dopey nation love you dave hang in there bud uh doing a great job later jeremy turner not jeremy taylor that was Forgive a great, me. great great voicemail yeah but justin anybody with a southern accent or a boston accent or it like, does help an accent for you is like it is for me. It gives it this authenticity. Yes. But it is a great voicemail. And I know this guy, <clears throat> excuse me, has unlimited voicemails. Maybe I couldn't find him because I typed in Jeremy Taylor. Maybe he's still out there. Jeremy, if you hear yeah, this. his name is actually Jeremy Turner. Yeah, his name is Jeremy Turner. So I, I apologize to you and the rest of the Dopey Nation for getting the name wrong. But great voicemail. Thank you. What was your favorite part? 
Um, when the cop found the weed in the three-ring binder. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I liked it when he said dog, and you <laughs> and you said dog. Get yes. the dogs. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, love love the southern accent. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, moving right along, because like this is going to be a long fucking episode. Justin has this theory, and I'm curious about your guys' theory. Like, does it matter how long a, a podcast episode is? I don't think so. Because I, well, I listen to podcasts on the train, and my train ride is about 38, 40 minutes. Well, we just hit 39 minutes, as, as you said that. Well, Do you but, think that's a Todd shot? Do you think that's a maybe synchronous, it's a Todd shot. Maybe synchronous it's a Todd moment? Shot. But the, you know, I don't care because I'll just stop it, and then when I get back in the train again, I'll listen to wherever I left off. So for me, um, I don't have to sit somewhere and listen to the entire podcast straight through. You'll listen later. Yeah. And just so you guys know, I'm sure when you're listening, it won't say 38 minutes because I haven't put the intro music on yet. So don't just be like Dave's on crack or something. Um, <clears throat> Justin knew Todd also. You knew Todd. Yeah, of course. What do you, what do you, what do you remember about Todd? He was a great guy. He was one of these, <sighs> you know, he was, in some ways, he was a little bit like Chris. I mean, I didn't know Chris. I just knew him through the podcast. But um, another sort of, you know, happy-go-lucky type of guy, um, you know, nice, always smiling and cheerful. Um, um, you know, the only thing I would say about Todd is that just, I just remember from when he would be at your house with Peter that, um, you know, he had, and this is kind of something, I don't know if people in the dopey nation will be familiar with this, but my own theory of like hippies and fish people, um, is that, you know, they try to live a lifestyle that, um, you know, where they don't really have the, the financial means to support the lifestyle because it doesn't involve much work and it involves buying a lot of drugs and traveling to concerts and things like that that cost money. Not to mention the fashions. And, and the fashions. And those corduroys alone are like corduroys, 70 bucks. Yeah, and so what, I, what happens with those people, in my experience, is that they tend to be quite stingy. Um, and you found Todd to be stingy. I found Todd to be a little stingy. I don't like to say bad things about Todd, but you don't like to speak ill of the dead. No, but Chris doesn't strike me like that at all. That's the only difference I would say that I could sense. You know, is that Todd was a very nice guy, but like, you know, if you were gonna buy weed with him or smoke his cigarette or whatever, you were gonna pay for it. Um, where you know, Chris, I'm not. I think Chris is probably a pretty generous guy. Who knows? Because I didn't. I, you know, it's like the funny thing about Todd and Chris is that Todd, you know, and I miss them both like crazy. Todd, like, oh, my God. Like, I, I walk down the street and I see, like, three guys on a skateboard and it's like, it's like Todd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Todd is just everywhere. Or I listen, or song comes on or, like, you know, because I didn't get high with anybody half as much as I got high with Chris. And I don't think I talked, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't get as high with anyone as I did with Todd. And with Chris, I don't think I ever talked so much about recovery with anybody as Chris. And right. those are the two that die. Right. You know, it's like yeah. so fucking weird. I just remember Todd sitting on your couch all the time. And if I came over, he would always be like, it wasn't just me. It was anyone, right? Anyone would come over. He'd be really happy to see them. You especially because you didn't smoke that much butt. Right. You weren't right. like another mouth to feed. <laughs> there was a guy, there was a, a guy who lived in the neighborhood, this guy named Sam. And he would come over. Like every day, like he, like none of us were working and he would come over and he would smoke our bud. And I remember like, 
mean, I think, I, I mean, I wasn't particularly generous, but I wasn't particularly stingy either. But, like, I got tired of, if somebody came over every day and they're well, not bringing blood. Yeah. So I was like, dude, we should start charging per bong hit. Yeah. And he was like, all right, how much should we charge? And I, and I did the math, and I was like, I think $2.75 a bong hit seems reasonable. And he's like, all right. So I remember I took out this big piece of paper, and I wrote $2.75 a bong hit. And Sam comes over, and we're smoking. Me and Todd were smoking, and Sam's like, can I get a bong hit? And I was like, and I pointed to the <laughs> wall. <laughs> he's like, What? So I don't remember him ever paying, but that was that was the plan. Now, since we're 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 pretty deep in the episode, I had this interview um, with this. Uh, I recorded it the other night with a relatively famous guy. He'd been on Dopey before. A guy named uh, Brandon Novak. He was on Jackass. He was on Viva La Bam. I recorded this in my attic, and I'm gonna play it. And uh, Justin's not gonna hear it until he's driving in his car someplace. Or where do you listen to Dopey? On the train. So you'll hear it on the Long Island Railroad yeah. one day. But here is uh, fucking Brandon Novak. Hello? Brandon Novak, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, what's going on? Who is this? This is Dave from Dopey. Oh, hey, brother, how are you? Shit, I forgot all about that. <laughs> you just said to call you. I, I did, I know, when? Just now or? Now, you just said now, that's fine, this is good time. Oh, I, I, that, you fucking text me on my work phone, for Christ's sake. I didn't know who the hell that was. That's my bad. I, I have a hard time keeping your many, li- your many lines are confusing my simple brain. <laughs> Forgive me. So imagine if you're confused how I fucking feel. Well, how are you doing, man? What's up? Uh, I'm in the middle of, like, I'm a first-time homeowner, so I'm, like, doing all this stuff around this house right now, which at the moment consists of pouring Drano down a, a sink. They say Drano is bad for sinks, man. Haven't you heard I, that? I I mean, I just had like this handyman over. He did, he said not to pour the whole thing, fill it up because it was backing up, and just pour, let it drain out through with the water like a quarter each time. Okay. So not like just downing it on the thing. Okay. It's kind of like a subtle thing, I guess. It seems to work. Dude, Drano always works. I, I spent my whole life in apartments. I just got my first home, too. And uh, let me know how the Drano goes. How, how's home ownership going for you? Well, it's great, except the first, let's say, uh, so for, I, I owned the home for two months, but I decided I wanted to do, like, major renovations. So I, I bought a, a, a loft in this building that was built in the 1800s, and it was a, a hoop skirt factory. So the building made, the people made women's hoop skirts. Wow in like the 1830s in this building, they converted it over to lofts, which I then bought a loft, but it's rad because it's like 15 foot ceilings from floor to ceiling. It's it's hardwood floors, exposed brick, but the hardwood floors are from the original building of like the 1830s. The skirt factory floors. Yeah, 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 exactly. And same with the big wood beams up top. So, So it's really rad, but I got like a new whole new bathroom put in and all these different lights hung so they were like doing a lot of renovation in here and i had to put everything i own in one corner and cover it with tarps and boxes because it was just dust everywhere so all of august i made it a point to travel i was home like three days just because they're wrapped they're doing all the work i didn't want to be here there was no working shower i was like bird bathing in the half sink upstairs 
Finally, I come home. They're wrapping up at the end of this month. I get home the day they finish. Two days before they finish. The day they finish, my fucking HVAC goes out. Oh, no. Yeah. But here's the saving grace. So when I bought the house, I, I had the inspector come out, and he said, look, it's not good, it's not bad, but it's questionable. But what is HVAC exactly? It's the thing that runs your air conditioning and heating. Right. It's the, that big furnace kind of looking thing in your house. Like mm-hmm. a big, it controls your air conditioning and heat. Yeah, I don't, I don't have one, but I'm with you. It's so hot too, right? So you have yeah, no like, air conditioning. So, so it's we're in the heat wave right now. So I, I, I say I go back to the previous homeowners. I'm like, I'd like a new one of those. They never do that because that's like an eight to ten grams fixed minimum. So like, no, we're not going to get you a new one, but we'll let you pick a warranty out. We'll buy it for a year. So I pick out like the Cadillac of warranties. Um, literally, I get home, the fucking thing goes out first day of the heat wave. In Philly. So for the past seven days, dealt with the heat wave, having them come out and fix it. Came out and fixed it today. Only cost me a thousand bucks, essentially, for them to replace the whole thing. Oh, my God. So I made out. That's a good... Yeah, that's a good deal. And it's like... I don't know, man. I I had to get a new dryer today. Don't you... I find home ownership to be fucking overwhelming a little bit. Dude, I'm having a problem with my dryer as we speak. Yeah. I literally just had a guy over here working on the dryer. <laughs> but these are the gifts of, of uh, sobriety and recovery, right? I mean, that's what they say. I'm waiting to feel the fucking effects of it. I mean, as far as the homeowners. No, it's okay. funny. It's funny. Yeah. But uh, so I imagine, you know, you are a professional skateboarder and you bought this loft. Do you have, like, ramps and shit in the loft, like in a movie or something? Like, no. Oh, fuck no. I don't want that shit in my house. What's in your house? Tell me about the house. What does it look like? So, it's like, um, it's the, all exposed brick except for one wall. Uh, hardwood floors. There's a, it's like, uh, from floor to ceiling, 15 feet, but on the top, like above the kitchen, there's a loft area, which I have for like, uh, a writing and, and reading room, which is kind of open. So it sits up, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Um, I just had these rad lights hung from the ceiling in my bedroom that come to each uh, side of the headboard. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I'm not good at giving you a visual. No, man, I think it sounds fresh. And it's, I mean, like you, you have this exciting job. You have books coming out. You're you're doing all sorts of stuff. What do you think is the most exciting thing you're doing right now that you'd like to share? Yeah, the, honestly, and this might sound rather fucking trivial to most, but the fact that I'm being fully self-sufficient, that blows my mind. When's the last time you were fully self-sufficient? Dude, the, in this aspect, now, right? So check it out. May 25th, 2015, which is about three years and seven months ago, I walked into my 13th inpatient treatment center, my worldly possessions, eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant, fit into a bag that was a pillow, four cigarette butts I picked up off the ground, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order. Kind of alcoholic, I wanted to kill myself on a daily basis, but I didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I was horrible at suicide, I kept waking up. I was at a point in life where I was so low the curb like the skyscraper. To now... Being a homeowner, um, paying my own mortgage, 
paying my homeowner's insurance, um, having contractors come work on the house. They don't have to chase me down to pay. You know, like, uh, I'm really like a, not only a productive member of society, but like a productive tax-paying member of society. Well, I'm, I'm very impressed. And you work and you work for a treatment, right? Yeah, I, you know, I work for one of the premier leading treatment centers in the world, if, if you ask me, Banyan Treatment Center. And like, you know, they, they, they believe in me, right? Like, they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Uh, when I first started this job, I, I went and talked to the owner. And I, I was in his office and I said, look... I said, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a numbers guy, right? I, I, you're not going to see me rushing to jump to put people in treatment. That's not what I do. What I will do is put anybody in a sufficient treatment center because what that equals is one less mother or father bearing their son or daughter. And he says, okay. And I said, number two, I don't work much. And he cocks his head sideways. He's like, I'm going to need you to explain that. I said, I don't work much. What I do is I work a really good program in my program of recovery and outside of my program. Therefore, I don't have to like knock on doors and try to sell Banyan Treatment Center. People believe in me. And when they believe in me, they believe in anything that I stand for. And therefore, my work just kind of happens for me. Well, that's why they hired you, based on the power of attraction and people who, who are interested in you and, and what you can bring to the table. Because you are as bad a junkie as anybody. And, and if Absolutely. you and if you can get it, then anybody can get it. But do you want to hear a funny story, real quick? Fuck yeah! Fucking, there's this woman who's a longtime uh, listener to our show. Her name is Tina, and she lives uh, near you. And one day recently, she like emailed me her Tinder, and the picture was you. And she said, "Should I swipe left or right?" So. The question is, how is dating and recovery going for you? It's it's going. Uh, I'm a fan of those apps. Okay. I'm on Tinder. I'm on Bumble. And and the reason why is right. It's not hard for me to like meet women, right? It's like that's not a that's not my issue. My issue is is that <clears throat> I am like so busy and I travel nonstop. And and when I'm hanging out, like I'm always around people. So when I'm not like working, doing what I do. I really value and cherish my time, my personal time with me or my cats. I don't really do the whole people thing. So meaning that like, I don't hang out in pubs. I don't go to the bookstore. Right, right. I don't, it I sets do up a social myself. thing for you. It, it, yeah, like, it so, gives you and, the social. And, Isn't that funny though, that she sent me that? Um, is she hot? Yeah, she's totally cute. Did, did you ever hear from her? Anyone named Tina? I'm not a fan of Tinder. I do Bumble more. It might have been Bumble. Maybe I don't know the difference at what I'm looking at. I never did Bumble. I used to do Tinder before I, I settled down. Um, do but most what it does is it allows me to vet out like all the small talk and dumb shit because they swipe right, I swipe right, rad. The attraction is there. You know what I mean? And then, or possibly, because I believe it all starts off looks. But I'm not the guy that'll just fuck to fuck. Like I much prefer to jerk off and go to bed than just fuck. Right? Like I, that. It, it's I'm much easier. It's much yeah, I'm, easier. I'm 38 years old. I've did that a lot of years. I, I, I need something to get me off more than a look or a pussy. Like it starts with looks, but then you're. I have to have a conversation that stimulates me. Something that gets me off and wants me to like leave wanting more. And then we can figure out if if it works. You know. So so it really works well for me in that aspect. Plus I'm traveling and I go to all these different states and and it's really easy to do that because you know. 
just works. It's right, because you can do it in every state. That's And how often do you meet somebody that knows who you are? Um, I don't know. I think most of the time they say that they don't, but then I realize that they do, like, later on. They're, you like, playing it cool kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, but there has been a couple that have, and it's cool. But I, most of the time... Honestly, I think pretty much every time because I, I've honestly remained friends with all the ones even if nothing was there. Um, and and it's not like I do it a lot. But sometimes, you know, ironically enough, I do it just almost for like self-validation to make sure that I'm still appealable to women. You know what I mean? That you still got it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really probably do it more so for that. But um, I think more so than not, they say that they don't and then I realize that they do, you know just to play it cool that they don't know who I am. Now, if somebody knows who you are, what do you think they know most about, jackass? Is that the thing? <laughs> no, ironically enough, dude, I get recognized, stopped, and complimented more now than I ever have in my whole life on what I'm doing these days. For as far as, like, being a motivational speaker, a person of, like, uh, you know, of, of a positive way of life. You know, I get stopped more now in airports and here and there, and people don't even say anything about Jackass or Viva Bam or skating. They're like, dude, I, I listen to you. I, I watch your YouTube videos. I, I follow you. I'm a big, big fan. I, I get stopped more now for what I'm doing now than than then when I, before sobriety, just kind of partying Jackass shit. So that's awesome. What a good thing that is. Um, I wanted to get you on the show again. You know, you were awesome the first time on the show, and we told some some crazy stories, like the time you almost had sex with your mother, and uh, and stuff like that. But I noticed on your Instagram page you have this comic out, this graphic novel, and it just looked amazing to me. Uh, why don't you tell uh, the audience a bit about it? Yeah. Well, the easiest way to find it, if you want to look more into it, you can go to my website, which is uh, brandonnovak.com, which, ironically enough, I just had to buy my fucking name back from some idiot who bought it. Well, he was not an idiot. He was a lucrative, uh, you know, potential businessman guy who knew he could get money out of you. He's a dick. He's a dick. justify my fucking feelings. I really appreciate it. He's a dick. He's not an (laughs) idiot. He's just an asshole, you know? this whole website it's really rad check it out it's brandonnovak.com right on but and and there is where you will find uh, the brandon novak chronicles and what it is 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 it's a it's a um it's a graphic novel it's kind of like a comic book but what i've come to the realization of these days is that people's uh, people's attention span is like social media attention span right you rarely get people that are like avid readers that like to go to a bookstore and buy a book and read a book. If anything, they download it on Kindle or however they do it via the web. So what I came up with was let's do five short stories um, that that are pertinent to my life, but that didn't fit in the book anywhere. And not only like do five short stories, but like let's do fucking rad ass very um like reality based artwork with the stories 
to make the story literally come alive, you know, because then that way it makes the reader feel like they're in my shoes and, and literally living vicariously through me while opening and thumbing through this graphic novel. So it's five short stories, you know, same artist. The artist is Emmanuel Cock, 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 Cock. Emmanuel Cock. Yeah, how can I fuck that name up? Manny Cock. Does he call himself Manny Cock? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't talked to him that much. He lives in Germany. All right. Um, and and the uh, Joe Franz is the uh, you know he had written written the stories, but it's each art form is different depending upon the story. Some's black and white. Some's color. Um, it's all very graphic. It's very real and. And what I'm trying to do is I travel all over the world and I speak about this opioid pandemic that we're in today. 192 people today will die as a direct result of an opioid overdose. It's worse than the AIDS, the, the peak of the AIDS outbreak and Vietnam War, for Christ's sakes. Um, so they, the question commonly asked is, is how do we lift the stigma? And the reality, the, the reality is, is that the stigma is lifting because the death toll is rising. So, so you really don't need to do much about lifting the stigma. It's doing it on its own. But what I want to do is because all those deaths, those 192 deaths that will occur just today in the nation of only an opioid overdose, not even like amphetamines, alcohol, whatever. This is just opioids. What I want to do is I want to make – because those deaths are all preventable. They're 100% preventable. I want to make uh, the disease of addiction more of a conversational piece. I want to make it like a, a dinner table subject. Right. And, and what better way to do this? Because in my world of advocacy, the reality is there's no margin for error, yet it is impossible to do perfect. So, like, I'm a big fan of doing something. And well, if something doesn't work, do something else. The point of Dopey was to do that, and I don't think you know about this – and maybe I should have led with this, but the guy that I started Dopey with, my friend Chris, who you talked to on the phone when we did whatever, a year and a half ago or two years ago or whenever it was, he fucking relapsed, he overdosed, and he died uh, last month, you know, five weeks ago or something. And I'm I'm trying to press on with the show. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, so I understand what you're talking about. And he talked about addiction until he was blue in the face and he was on his way to becoming a psychologist and he did the show and he managed a sober house and he worked in treatment and still he couldn't come clean with his relapse, you know? So it's like fucking... Sometimes it's just like I don't see a, a solution if the solution doesn't, doesn't present itself to you, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And something that my sponsor impresses upon me is that everybody carries a message, right? Right. So like, I learn what to do from people, and I learn what not to do from people. Right. Um, and 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 inevitably, the reality is, is his death is going to save a lot of lives. Well, it's, if you continue to like put this out there and talk about it. It seems like it is. It seems like it's generating a great response uh, from our fans, and like you know, lots of different. Uh, you know, people are interested in what happened to him. His story is a cautionary tale. And my sponsor said the same thing, that this whole thing is Chris carrying the message. Um, it really is. Which is just like, you know, it's a hard thing to live with. I used to love doing the show because I got to sit around with Chris and talk shit and not give a fuck. And now I'm doing the show almost like just because I have to. You know what I mean? Like, I love the show. But I'm doing it because it's I'm committed to doing it, you know, more than it's fun at this point, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
what I really wanted to hear from you, and I don't know if you still want to do it, and I don't know if I if I spoiled the mood with the truth of our situation here, because we're still like a situation in mourning. Uh, but a lot of people listen to the show because they love the dopey stories. And it uh-huh. seemed like in your graphic novel that it seems to be chock full of dopey. And I know Chris loved the dopey stories. And I wanted to see if you wanted to tell one of the graphic novel dopey stories for the dopey fans, for the dopey nation. Yeah, sure. Let me, um, I have so many stories. I actually got to open it up and I'll, I'll skim through and, and see which ones. I thought it was just five stories in there. No, it is. But I, don't, <laughs> I have so many fucking stories in my life that, like, right. Of you course. Know, let me just see which one. Because I have to look at it to kind of remember which one I could really bring to life more so. Right on. Um, well, one that I really liked, it's called a kindness, The Kindness of Strangers. And, uh, and, and so one night, one morning, you know, every morning, I, I don't know, people might have seen my, my YouTube videos or where I've told my story. But every morning I'd wake up at 4.30 a.m. religiously. And, and I would sneak out of my mother's house. And this is then, right before I went into treatment. And I still have the scar on my leg to prove this story. Um, I went out and I, you know, the sun isn't even up at that point. I'd sneak out of my mother's house. I would, I would tiptoe down the stairs. I would get to the bottom of the stairs. I would army crawl over to her purse. One hand would grab her purse. The other hand would grab the belt that's attached to her purse. And, and I would steal her credit card, her ATM card, and I'd go buy 180 bucks worth of dope and coke every morning. And one morning I go over to the hood, and I get the 180 bucks, but I'm really sick. I can't make it back to my house. So I decide I'm going to go into one of these. Wait, you would steal 180 bucks every morning? Every morning, yeah. And she would just have 180 bucks in cash in her purse every morning? No, I'd steal her debit card. Right, okay, okay. Forgive me. And for some reason, I wouldn't take 200. I don't know why I wouldn't take 200, but I would take 180. I don't know what the fuck my logic was at that point. Well, what did you get for 180 bucks? I would buy uh, $110 worth of heroin because they were in pills, so I was getting $10 pills. And then I would buy seven or six, I would buy six dimes of coke right and then i would use the 10 bucks you know to get to and from right right so so i would get over there i bought it this morning i was really fucking sick i couldn't wait to get back to the house so i copped 100 uh, 170 bucks worth of dope and coke and i decided i'm gonna go into this abandoned house and shoot up I because still, it, because you couldn't wait to get home yeah i'm like ill as a research monkey man like i gotta get this thing in me um uh, I, I decide I'm going to go into this abandoned house in, in Baltimore City. It's, you know, pitch black. The sun's not up. So I walk into this abandoned house, and um, as soon as I walk in the door, I mean, this building's, like, dilapidated. No one will go in there in the right frame of mind. Right. And I go through, and I, and I get into the house. There's no doors. I put one foot through the door where the door would be. As soon as I walk into it with the second foot, I collapse and fall straight through to what was the basement but now in the basement there's all these holes on, on the, the let's say the the floor above that i just fell fell through right there's other holes so and there's no roof on this building either so when it rains it just rains straight in and it goes through the floor that i just fell through into this basement um which now i'm down in and it's pitch black there's water up to a little above my waist right like my stomach right below my chest 
it's pitch black. I have my heroin and my cocaine in, in one hand because it was right. I was getting ready to run in and do it, and I had the lighter and my needle and uh, the spoon in the other hand. So your hands are straight up. Nothing's yeah. in the water. Nothing's yeah. wet. Everything's because still dry except you. My, except for my stomach down. Right. I cannot. So I'm lighting the lighter. The lighter got kind of wet. The water splashed up. Uh, I keep flicking the lighter. I keep flicking the lighter. Finally, the lighter comes on, and all of a sudden, I see a shit ton of rats oh my running God. all around the side. But there's no stairs to get up out of this. The stairs have since fell down too. Now rats that are in the water are coming over to me and climbing up me to get dry. Wow. And I'm down there, and, and finally my lighter starts working. I'm seeing these rats all in the water, on the walls, coming, swimming towards me to climb up to me, on me, to get out of the water. And, um, and, and I don't know what to do. Finally, I, I'm like, fuck, I'm too sick to continue to care about this. I finally get the dope and the coke cooked up. I shoot it, and I'm down there for about four hours dealing with this. It's like, it's like a fucking scene out of the movie Saul. Um, and, and, and finally, a guy and a girl come into the house after it's sunny now at this point. The sun is You're just up. standing there alone in the basement covered with rats. Yes, rats in the water, rats on the walls. I mean, it's rats on you. You said they're cli- They're yeah, using you yeah, as an the, island. The ones that are in the water swim over to me and start climbing up me, and I got to continue to bat them off me. I see you as kind of a junkie Indiana Jones, falling into the Temple of Doom, surrounded by rats. Yeah, you know what? That's a great fucking mental picture you just painted right there. Very good. I like that. I, I think and you should. Great. Yeah, you should do some kind of like fake indie art with you as indie with a needle instead of a whip. Rats instead of snakes. You can take this whole concept. I have no ownership. I want to pass it on to you. Oh, you're not going to make me buy it from you? No, it's, it's <laughs> yours for free. You know? Wow. But I think it's a good, I mean, it's good. I, I can see it. It's like a comic well, book cover. Well, that's the point of this. That's what this graphic novel is. Right. Straight that, up. That must have been so, where I got the idea. You're a fucking genius, my Thank friend. You. Keep going. I like you so much. But so here's the deal. So I'm down there for like three, three and a half hours. Batting rats off, fucking, you know, it finally got high, so now it's, it's not only bearable, but it's like, it's kind of cool, you know what I mean? Like, I don't give a shit, I, you know, uh, I was, the, the delusional effect that is always produced every time I put a shot of heroin and cocaine in my mind. How did you get high, though, if you're standing with your arms up like that? Well, because I could get to my arms. But you say so you shoot up with your arms above your head. Well, I had I had the coke and the dope in my right hand. The needle I didn't have a spoon. I had a like a little top. Wow. Uh, a, the top and the lighter in my left hand because I had it both in my hand. Because as soon as I got in this house, I was gonna get down to business. Right. That's very deft maneuvering, though. So so I fucking finally get it going. I do what I do, and I'm down there just fucking going in circles, getting rid of the rats, trying to think of any way to get out of this place. It's impossible. And you're high, so you're, it's pleasant. I, yeah, so it's like the delusional effects produced, which allowed me to escape the reality that I had created for myself. Right. So it's cool. I can deal with this. But there's no way out. Finally, about three, three and a half hours later, I hear some people come through, and I start screaming up like a fucking rape victim, man. Help, help, help. They look down, and they say, all right, give us a minute. Now, what give us a minute means 
in our world is they got to do what they came there to do first before they give me any kind of attention. So they you can feel I mean? the same delusional effect. Yes. Yeah. yes. So they get high. Sure enough, it's a guy and a girl, boyfriend and girlfriend. They come over, they stick their head down. They say, hold on, give us a minute. We're, we're going to help you. And they go make like some kind of... Uh, Almost like a jailhouse escape weapon from a, a you know a window where you tie blankets together and right. just and they throw something like that down. They pull me out. Wow. They run. He runs out to the truck. They get some towels to give to me, and then they give me a ride home. And while they're giving me a ride home, he decides like that I can have his lunch that the girlfriend packed him to take to his construction job that day. Wow. So the the title of the chapter is uh, kindness of a stranger, but really what it what it what it emphasizes is that no matter how low we become, how much the we become living on that animalistic level, the abnormal becomes the normal. There's still a piece of like good in us. That's a beautiful story, and it's a beautiful message. Um, yeah. When you were out using, how often did people know who you were? Uh, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty good. Um, well, it depends on what kind of people, right? Right, like, right. Like the, the dudes that were serving me in the hood, they didn't know. Right. But then you get like the other white guys and girls that would come in. Occasionally, they would know, and even if they knew, they didn't give a fuck because, like, they they have a one track mind just like I do. Everybody was just there to get fucking high either way. So yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. You know, because, you know, the core of our disease is we're selfish, we're self-centered. So it's me, 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 and if I have three minutes, you, but only if it benefits me. Well, these strangers seem to really come through for you, though, and it didn't really benefit them. No, it didn't, which was, which was rather fucking rare. Unlikely. Unlikely yeah. scenario. Absolutely. So another thing that I'm trying to do with this with this graphic novel is right, and I'm sure you can relate here. Is is people uh, of your and my caliber, addicts, alcoholics, we're defiant by nature. We hate authority, and we will not conform unless it becomes our idea. So you tell me what I need to do. I tell you why you need to fuck off because I know. Um, so I try to deliver a message of like hope, promise, and freedom that does not consist of a drink or a drug. Therefore, it becomes attraction rather than promotion. Because like you said, if you can fucking do it, there's no reason why I can't. Exactly. What about people who like have like, I, I just did some interview for some other podcast and the, the guy's big platform is, is something called the abstinence myth. Like, like I don't what? like I don't know. It's like there's this whole movement of people who like don't think that being abstinent uh, from drugs and alcohol is necessary, and as long as you're trying, it's okay, and you could drink a little bit or you can use a little bit. It's like I never had that experience where where a little bit was okay. I just it just seems so strange. These I don't know. Like I shouldn't judge them. You're in the field. What what do you make of that kind of stuff? What I've come to understand is I've debated for a lot of years. But on the flip side of that coin, I shot heroin for a lot of years. Right. So I don't give a fuck if that tree keeps you sober. Have at it. If you can have a drink, if you can do a line of cocaine, if you could do a line of heroin, if you can smoke some weed, and it gives you a light 
that you find fulfilling or beyond your wildest dreams, have at it. Absolutely. Do it up. Who am I to say that doesn't work? Because what I know for a fact, for certain, is this is not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a black-and-white issue. If it was, I would have got it to my first treatment center at 17. I didn't get it till my 13th at 35. Right. So, so it's like, once again, there's no margin for error, yet it is impossible to do perfect. But what I do know... There is no margin for error. Yeah, but it's impossible to do perfect. Right. That's an amazing thing. So right. what I've learned is that I knew that I was an alcoholic for years and my life was unmanageable. I fucking knew it. I mean, that was very easy to see. My, if that wasn't the case, my mother wouldn't have bought me a plot. I wouldn't have ended up on life support for seven days. People wouldn't have taken life insurance policies out on me. I wouldn't have went to 13 treatment centers. Right? So I knew that I was an alcoholic and my life was unmanageable. But the moment the terms of my contract had changed is when I went from knowing it to accepting it. Because when I accepted it, what it allowed me to do is get out of my own way. Because my very best thinking got me to those positions. And what I learned in sobriety doing the internal work is that the common denominator in my problems are me. Problems don't come to me. They come from me. I'm right. the problem. The thinking, the attitude, and the behavior. In reality, the 12-step the, the program that I work has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol, really. like It, 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 it says it in the first step, but besides that, it has nothing to do with that. It's the fuel that fired me to get into those meetings. But the reality is the drinking and the drugging was not the, my problem. That was not my problem at all. That was my solution. Right. You take my solution away, I'm left with the real problem, which is me, my thinking, my attitude, my behavior. So, you know, I, I get in here and then I learn how to, like, live and, and do what I do. Um, I forget where I was going with that. No, I understand what you're saying. It's like we're the problem, and when the solution comes to us, our life can be different than it was. You know, I, oh, I, oh, I, I remember what I was saying. So, so right, because now <laughs> that I've accepted it, right, I've accepted it, I knew it, but now I accept it. What I've also accepted is I'm not part of that 90% of the world that can drink with immunity, right? I'm part of that 10% that if I pick up a drink, I can, honest to God, bet my life on it and my mother on it, that I cannot tell you where I'll be, what I will be doing, or who I will be doing it with. And I promise you, nothing's off the table. So I've accepted that, which makes my sobriety quite easy, to be frank. You know, because I don't focus on, like, what what these people that, that say you, you can have a drink and still have a great life. Cool. Fucking have one for me. You know what I mean? Like, my no. experience dictates that, like, when I do that, I end up in places that are not very welcoming. No, I feel the same way, and, and I and my life went to uh, so many horrible places where it was just uh, it was just very sad, and there was no very little hope, and there was no manageability, and I'm just fucking like crushed with my friend, you know. I mean, I lost two friends this summer. One of them I used with more than anybody I ever used with, and the other one I spent sober time with more than I ever spent sober time with anybody. And they both overdosed. And it's just fucking, uh, it's weird. And like to hear anybody advocating anything besides abstinence, it kind of like, I feel like they're kind of punching me in the face a little bit. You know what I I'm saying? It. That makes complete sense to me. And yeah, I, I, I would probably, I can't say for certain, because I haven't experienced what you're experiencing, but I would probably feel the same way. Right. And, and it's like, but if I talk to somebody else, you know, who's trying to get their shit together and they say that their life is better because they use once a month. I say what you say, more power to you. It just didn't work for me that way, you know? 
Um, Now, I saw, like, I think it was last year you did some, like, reunion with Bam Margera. Like, you guys went skateboarding or something or other, right? Uh Uh-huh. How was that? talking about as far as the reunion but there was something i saw on like social media where you guys like put on suits or something and went skateboarding and you had some big question and answer thing on reddit chris was all excited about it he was trying to reach out to you and i wanted to see if there was like how bam was doing and like what's up is, is there some sort that, of like Bam's you know not, I, I remember that i think i think kind of what you're thinking was spliced into two different things that you just said right we did both those things. I did the suit thing. Ben was not involved, but we also did a Reddit thing where he was involved. Um, but Ben, he's not doing too good, man. No, uh, he's okay. He's, he's like struggling, and you know he's at the point where where he recognizes the the alcohol is a problem, but he's not willing to do what it takes to to start living in the solution. So it's like, once again, if you just put the drink down, you're merely scratching the surface because just putting it down, what that means is that the same alcoholic will pick it back up because the alcohol is not the problem. It's the solution. The problem is the thinking attitude and behavior. So he puts it down and, and, and he's like a stranger in his own skin trying to figure out who the fuck let him in, right. which I can relate to. That's early sobriety, if you will. And until you do that internal work, you know, meaning like what I believe for me, and this is just for me and what works for me. I can't, once again, man, there's no right way to do this. Everyone right. does their own thing. For me, what worked, and I was that dude that was deemed unhelpful or unfixable, was the 12 steps. I always say that God brought me to the 12 steps, and 12 steps brought me back to the God of my understanding. Right, right. Uh, so what so, what can you do for somebody like that's your friend? And you want to help them, and you want to be able to give them what you have. You just, you can't, what can you do? I mean, it fucking sucks, but, like, it's the age-old hallmark saying. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Unfortunately, for most addicts, alcoholics, the only motivator is pain. And when the pain becomes great enough, then we tend to become willing to do what it takes to get out of the position that we have created for ourselves. Right. Right. No, so it's like I, I just have that. to sit there and, and once again, I don't ever call them and say, you need to do this, you need to do that because we're defiant. You know, we don't like authority and we will not conform. This becomes our idea. So what I do is I, I, I live my life to the best of my ability. So therefore, God willing, it becomes attractive to him. And, 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 and then maybe he'll say one day, like, uh, if, if, if Novak can do it, I can do it. Right. You know, because he's, he's, he's in awe that I do it. He's, my best friend in the world. He's cried to me numerous times saying how proud he is of me. But he's just not willing to do what it takes yet. I guess because the pain is not great enough. Right. I had a friend in that same situation. And even when I was clean and he was using, he still looked at me as a worse junkie than him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, even when I was clean and he was still going, he was like, yeah, but you're still worse than me. It was like something that kept him safe in his mind. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. delusion that he wasn't as bad as I was at my worst, you know, or whatever. Not that that well, means that's anything. The, that's the funny thing because that's how Bam and my relationship were for years, you know. It was, he was great at deflecting. He's like, well, at least I'm not Novak. At least I'm not doing, you know, whatever. And I talked to him the other day and I said, like, you know, you are who I was, man. The only difference is you're not sticking a needle in your arm. 
but like you you are who i was and and i said i said are you happy and he said kinda and i said well then do what you do you know because here's the deal and you know this i think that no human power has the ability to get me sober or another alcoholic. If I could do this thing on my own, I would not be here talking to you right now. I would not be in a 12-step program. I would not have the spiritual connection that I have because a power greater than myself had to rip me of the desire or lift me of the obsession to want to drink. I am not powerful enough to do that on my own. If I was, I would have did it years ago. Right on. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Your message is awesome. And I love talking to you, man. Again, my condolences. I had no idea. And if there's anything I can ever do, if you ever need anything, man, please never, ever, ever, ever hesitate to call me. Well, you did it. And I really appreciate it. And and I'm in awe of what you do for uh, so many people. You give yourself to anybody that asks. And that's what I'm trying to do and what the point of doping. What are you doing, man? Huh? You're doing it. You're doing it. Oh, right on, man. Let's just be in touch, and uh, I want to get one of your comics. How do I get a comic? Um, BrandonNovak.com, if you go there. Cool. Do the whole deal. If anybody needs help, man, if you can't find your way up and out of your position or you can't see past that bag, bottle, pill, needle, call me directly, 610-635-9092. We'll figure this thing out together. All right, Brandon. Thanks, man. God bless you, man. Be good. Later. So, Brandon Novak. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, friend of the show. I like that expression. It's nice that he's a friend of our show. And um, love having him on. He's a, a real example of a fucking train wreck of a drug addict who's, who has some clean time. And he's helping people, you know, which is awesome. Um, now, one of my favorite dopey stories, my own personal favorite dopey stories, like I think I, to- I told it on the show. You told a sort of shortened version that left out, I thought, the more interesting details. And, uh, and Justin was in on that story. And since who knows when he'll come back to do dopey, uh, I figure we should just tell it. Yeah. So... Dave told this story a long time ago, I think, on the show, and I was excited to hear it when I saw that he was on the on the podcast that it was going to be on. And then I was kind of disappointed because I felt like it he didn't really do justice to the story. Um, and so the story is about when we drove up to Montreal from New York City and back in one day to get Ibogaine, uh, which Dave was sure was going to cure him of heroin addiction. Um, and it was the... I think January or February of 1999, it was the coldest day of the year, uh, like 10 degrees out in New York City. So in Montreal, it's probably like minus 10. And I think that the reason I told this story wrong is because I really love the, the prelude to the story. Like the prelude to the story was I'm a fucking heroin addict and I don't know what to do and I cannot... Um, I couldn't get off of it. I think I, I went to... Uh, was I still working when we did that? I think that was right. That was like probably, to me at least, that was probably like right when you realized you had a problem. Yeah. And it, and you were scared. And you wanted to get off it because you knew that it was it had a hold of you. And you, you found um, these people in Christiania, Denmark. Was it right? Yes. Who, who, would, who would mail Ibogaine, uh, you know, by... By FedEx. But you have to understand something here. Okay, 
I, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't want to go to detox. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, like, I couldn't stop using. And when, if I stopped using, I would go into violent withdrawal, get really sick. Uh, I was, I was, I remember I was producing my show at, at this place at the time. And, um, and I think I was walking past a rock against racism rally on, uh, at Union Square and they were advertising Ibogaine. And they were like, all you have to do is take this uh, South American or African. Was it African? African, I think. I think it was South American, but it's probably African root from the iboga plant. And you drink a tea and you trip and it cures you of opiate dependency. And I was like, this is the way I want to quit dope. So I, I, I Google, where can you get ibogaine? And I found this online store. And this, the internet was not like it is now. You know, I found this. You probably sh- looked at Yahoo or something. I don't even know if Google was around back. Google then. wasn't around back no. then. It was Yahoo or, or I don't even. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know what I did. I don't know how I found it. It was this shitty fucking site in Christiania, Denmark, and they sold drugs. You know, and they didn't only sell healing drugs. They sold like I think they probably sold heroin, and they sold acid, and they sold D- DMT and peyote and. And ibogaine, and and they sold everything, you know, and um, I didn't have any money. It was so weird. Okay, I didn't have any money. Okay, because I spent every dollar I had on heroin, and I think my parents probably paid my rent. I spent every dollar I made on heroin. I was broke, and I called up this company in Denmark, and I said, "I need ibogaine. Um, I need you to send me some, and I will pay you back." And they sent it to me. They said, they said the only, and that's, that was like my favorite part of the story. Yeah. It's like, who in the world does that? Right. Like, they have to be these major league hippies, and I probably told them a good story on the phone. And they said, we can send it to you, uh, but we can't send it to New York. You can't send it to America. And I was talking, I think I told Justin about it, and Justin had this car. Do you have a Volkswagen? Yeah. He had this little Volkswagen and he drove everywhere. Justin was like fucking attached to the fucking car. He was like a fuck. He was like built in and he, he would drive everywhere. And, and he always wore a suit. You know, even back then you wore a suit like every day because you were a title closer, but you wore a suit because you were born to wear suits. Um, so he would always, he looked like a chauffeur. He'd always be driving around in a suit, he'd come upstairs in a suit. And uh, I was like, I need to get this Ibogaine, but it's, it's, I don't know how to get it. They won't send it to uh, America. And Justin's like, have them send it to Canada and we'll drive and get it. And because yeah, I, I used to pick things up at FedEx's locations for my job sometimes. Is that where you got yeah, the idea? I, and I knew that you could just have something sent to a FedEx to hold for you. Um, so that's what you did. And you had them send it to Montreal, to the FedEx Depot or whatever it was in Montreal. Because that was the closest Canadian yeah, city. Yeah, and... Uh, it was the closest Canadian Yeah, and so it was like one day in January, February of 1999, and we got in the car at like 6 a.m. And... Um, like you slept over. I slept over early. your house, and I probably took the couch cushions and like made a bed on the floor, and uh, which is what I used to do. And, um, and then uh, we drove up there. But and, I got a bunch of dope before we left. Yeah, and, and you, I, and and you I had... And I did a bunch of dope in the house. Yeah. I wasn't shooting dope yet. I was snorting it. You were snorting it, it and uh, you had little bags. And um, I probably had a bundle. I probably brought, I probably did it, did like three or four bags in the morning, and I brought three or four bags with us. Yeah, and 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 well, you did some more though because we we got up to Osable, 
Um, and, and I always remember it was O'Sable because I had read the, I just read the book, The Rule of the Bone by Russell Banks, which to the members of the Dopey Nation, if you want to read a good book, Rule of the Bone by read Russell Rule Banks of the bone. is a great book. It's a great Dopey book. It's a great book. Um, and so I just read that book and, and part of the book takes place in O'Sable. That's where the, the, one of the protagonists of the book is from. And um, so we stopped in O'Sable to get gas and go to the bathroom and, I always and, thought the gas station was in Fredonia. No, it was in O'Sable. Okay. And which is like, I think around like 45 minutes, probably from the Canada border, somewhere up there near Plattsburgh. And um, so we, we, we stopped at this shitty little gas station and it was one of these places with the bathroom, like on the side of the building. And it was like just a really nasty bathroom. Dank bathroom. And, um, and Dave went in there and I had told him, I'm not crossing the border <laughs> with any heroin in the car. Um, and he promised me that he would not have any heroin on his person when we crossed the border. And so he took the heroin and hid it behind the mirror in the gas station bathroom. In Osable. In Osable. And so I probably snorted and, a bag yeah, or two. Yeah. And I put the other two or three bags. There were a few. I, I think it was a few. And and because you had probably had enough to get home, which was another seven hour drive. Yeah. And so um, we crossed the border. It was fine. Um, I, I feel like we stopped at some duty free place or something. And then we kept going and we got up to Montreal, which is, you know, a little bit of a ways after you cross the border. And we went to the FedEx place, which was out kind of in the middle of nowhere. And you went in, and I was waiting in the car, and you came out, and you had this envelope, this FedEx envelope, and a big grin on your face. And we got in the car, and you opened it up, and there was, my recollection, it was like some kind of like Ziploc bag with brown powder in it. It was, it was three like sleeves of this brown powder, you know, three sleeves. And do you remember what I did? You taped it to your leg with, I think, with duct tape or yeah, something. Yeah, and uh, I, well, I don't know how I had the tape. I don't. I, you must have like I don't know. I don't know where the tape came from. I didn't have it, but but you had duct tape, or maybe we bought it in Montreal. It's possible. And um, but what, what kind of idiots are we were, taping ibogaine? Well, you, know, you like, didn't tape it right away. You we went we went we went to Montreal. We had lunch or something. It was probably like three or four in the afternoon by that point, and. Um, we were walking around. We actually, I remember now that we went to a drugstore and you bought the tape in the drugstore. Like I was a, like, I need to get it. It was tape. like a CVS or something. And because we were talking about what are we going to do now? And, and I, I think I said you have to tape it to yourself or something. And this is before 9 11, so crossing the border was not a big deal. Um, but still, uh, I was worried about it. And uh, so you, we went to the drugstore. You, you were got, a nervous wreck. I was a nervous wreck. And, uh, and I was like so giddy with excitement. Yeah, that you we were, were just excited that you were going to cure yourself of heroin addiction by taking this, by, by tripping out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which I kind of had my doubts about, but I wanted to help and, and, and figured why not try it. So um, uh, we, we went to this drugstore and then we walked around a little bit in Montreal. And I remember you kept saying to girls, bonjour, uh, and they would just, it did nothing worked. And, uh, and then we ate at some horrible kind of Ukrainian or Russian restaurant had like goulash or something. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and then we got back in the car and we drove toward the border and the close as close, the closer we got to the border, I, the more nervous I got. 
and I was. Do you smoking. remember what? Do you remember what happened then? Well, I was smoking cigarettes. I remember I was smoking cigarettes. At some point, you taped it to your leg. Yeah. And uh, and and you're like, we're gonna be fine. Don't worry. And I'm smoking cigarettes because I used to smoke back then. And when when I would smoke a lot, I would start to get jittery. And because I was really just chain smoking cigarettes, and we get to the border, and you're like, you gotta stop smoking. You look like you're nervous when you smoke. And so I threw the cigarette out the window when we were like maybe three cars from the border guard. And it's a little bit of a blur for me, like going through the actual border. Do you remember border. that? That was the funniest part of the whole fucking story. Well, I, I, I blacked that. I we blank pull, out on we that. Pull up, you literally blacked out, I think. Yeah. We pull up to the window. <laughs> the woman says to Justin, do you have any plants, medicines, or firearms? And Justin goes... He just went blank. He's like, ah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with the fucking ibogaine taped to my leg. And I leaned forward. I said, no, we're good. And um, and she was like, okay. And Justin's like, humana, humana, humana. And Justin's like bugged out. And we drive through. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Now, if they found it, they wouldn't have known what it was. You know, we could have put it in a fucking envelope and said it was tea. Yes, you know, taping, it, taping it to your leg actually the, made it yeah, much worse much because then, of course, if they had ever checked... I wouldn't even be surprised if it wasn't a Canadian-controlled substance. Yeah, we could have had it laying on the dashboard. It probably wasn't. No one would have cared. That's because they, right. they, why would they be able to ship right. it there if it was a controlled substance? Right. So we got through the border, and I was very relieved. Uh, Dave was making fun of me for being scared. And we got back to O'Sable, and by that point, I think you, you needed... I got sick. You needed dope. And so we get to O'Sable, we get to the gas station, and he goes to the bathroom. And I'm, like, scared that it's not going to be there. Yeah. Because the dope was hidden behind the mirror right. in the bathroom. And, 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 and you put your hand up behind the mirror wherever you had hit it, and it fell down into the sink, which was all wet, and it got wet. Yeah. And so you ate it. Well, I couldn't, I, I wasn't shooting it then. I always would snort it, but because I couldn't snort it, I was just like, fuck it. And I just ate the whole bag, like literally with the, with the paper. All the rest of it. You yeah. ate all of it. Yeah. And, um, and you told me what happened, and I was like, okay. I had no idea like, you know, whether that was okay or not, but you ate all of these envelopes of dope. And, uh, and we got back in the car, and by that point it's like maybe dusk, and we have like six more hours to drive back to New York, and it's like six o'clock at night. And we had left at six in the morning and I was starting to get tired and, and we start driving back and we're talking and it was fine. And we got about, you know, half an hour down the road from O'Sable and you start nodding out in the car. And I got so pissed off because I was tired and I'm like, <laughs> now I got to drive all the way back to fucking New York City. And I can't even talk. And you can't even talk. So I, I put the radio on real loud and I just remember the song. Uh, Sex Laws by Beck had just come out. Right. And it came on, and I'm playing it really loud, and, and you were coming in and out of consciousness. I was like, turn it down. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, but you woke up, you're like, oh, I love this song. And then you're like, you would nod out again. <laughs> and like, and then two hours later, the song came on again. <laughs> and, I'm like, and it came on two or three times, I remember, on the way home. And I just remember keeping the windows open, and it was like 20 degrees out to stay awake. And I was like, close the window, and, and, I'm cold. And you're like, why do you have the windows open? And I was falling asleep in the car. I said, if you want, unless you want to die in the car, I have to keep the windows open to stay awake. And then we finally got home, and it was like midnight. Um, and then you did the Ibogaine the next day, I think. I did it that night. Was it that? No, no, because I left. Because it was... No, Devin, Devin met us there. 
Is that right? Yeah, because we did so it. So I went home. Who knows? I, I didn't want to be with you to do the Ibo game because I was afraid. I, I, I had like this um, fear of like being with you tripping out because I had had such a bad trip the last time I tripped, and um, which is a whole other story. But, you know, I didn't want to be there. And Devin came and took my place. And then Devin was writing a book at the time. And they say, don't have any bright lights on, you know, avoid all sounds, but don't do it by yourself, you know. So Devin, like, sat in the corner on his computer. The computer light was making me fucking crazy. Um, And I kept telling him to please shut the light off. He wouldn't. Um, And he's typing. I'm like, could you please stop typing? And he's like, motherfucker, what do you want me to do? Just sit here and watch you trip? And then I just lay on, on on a... mattress on the floor and I remember I had my foot was leaning up against the Fender Rhodes leg and I felt like my body was spinning and and then I realized I, I thought I was spinning into space but but my leg was still against the piano leg so I knew I wasn't spinning do you know what I'm saying it really yeah. felt like I was yeah. spinning and then like I wound up having this weird kind of vision where I wound up in Egypt or the desert someplace at a pyramid and this blue alien came to talk to me, and he had a triangle on his head. And I remember he seemed super annoying. I was like, who is this loser? I was like, can you please stop talking? <laughs> and then, um, and then I, I didn't listen to him. And then I woke up the next morning, and I was like... But was it like a real trip? I mean, were you like... Because... It was like a dream vision trip. Yeah. It was really weird. It was like I didn't get up. And I, I, but you I, weren't like euphoric and like... I don't know. I don't think I took enough of it, number yeah. one. I don't think I took enough of the Ibogaine. I think I still had Ibogaine, like, leftovers. And I think um, I, didn't, I didn't do what you're supposed to do. And the next day I was sick and I needed to get dope. Yeah. And I went and got dope. Yeah. And I told you about it. Yeah. I, would, I would be interested to hear, like, if other people, listeners, like, ever did Ibogaine and what their experiences were. I bet a lot of heroin addicts have tried it. Yeah, please send in any Ibogaine stories you have. Christina, one of our regular dopey listeners, Christina, who almost, who, who is like trying to set up dating. Chris and, Chris and Christina wanted to date, but Christina lived in South America. So they sent up, they like set up a tentative date way down the road. And, uh, but then Chris wound up with Annie and Christina, who knows what she wound up doing. But um, Christina, if you're still listening, what's up? Um, we should just say goodbye. Um, I didn't. We didn't do an email or a review. Oh yeah, I got this review. This review kind of bummed me out. You ready? I'm gonna read the the review that bummed me out before we go. Um, thank you for coming on the show. You know, obviously. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know who's going to still be listening at this length. Probably a bunch of people. But one thing that I would... The Open Nation, all of you guys are like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to help? Well, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, You can send in a voicemail that's between five and ten minutes long. That's good, like Jeremy Turner did. You can do a bit. You know, make a prank phone call. Make a dopey phone call. Send it in. Make a song. A song about dopey, a song I, about drugs. I'll tell you, the guy that sent in the good so bad with the banjo, I love that guy. Everybody loves that guy. That guy was great. I have I have another voicemail of his with a song attached to it. 
But uh, I'm saving that. It's too weird. It's already too long to play that. But so send in a song. Send in anything. You know, there's some dude, Brandon, I think his name is, who, who says he wants to do a freestyle about Dopey. Do it. Do anything uh, creative about Dopey. I can't promise I'll play it, but I promise if it's good, I will, eventually. And if even it's okay, I'll probably play it eventually. So send in something. And now I'm going to read the Dopey Review of the Week, which made me sad. Actually, the last two reviews made me sad. The last one, the newest one, is Worst Show Ever. You hear me? Five stars, Worst Show Ever. Boo. But five stars? Zero out of ten, would not buy again. Now, well, that I don't even know what that means. It means he's not a fan. But he gave you five stars. Well, he's a generous non-fan. Okay, and then a... Does it, aren't the stars what really matter? I don't know. I like a nice review that says I'm good and stuff. I like that. Okay, a riveting podcast by Hugo Jong. Found podcast just browsing and started listening from beginning. It's hard to explain the attraction of this show, but it has kept me riveted and laughing even when it has been annoying. Losing one of the hosts, Chris, to a recent overdose has made this a different show. I'm giving it a chance, though. Chris was the main attraction for me. The older shows are definitely worth listening to. R.I.P. Chris. Your story is still helping others, and this podcast only highlights how much we lost with your passing. You know, that really bummed me out. But it's a nice tribute to Chris. It's a great tribute to Chris. And, like, the old episodes are really, some of them are really good, you know? I feel like, you know, Dopey fans were probably Chris people or Dave people. Like, Beatles fans are like John people or Paul people. Right. Maybe. Luckily, we didn't do too much of the Chris or Dave thing. Because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. (laughs) You know, I really wouldn't have been. Um, Anyway, we're going to keep going with this podcast uh, I'm trying to find some addicts uh, to sit in that, I don't know, nobody's going to do what Chris did. Chris, Chris, like, he was Dopey's wet dream. The best stories, like, super chill, young. They, he was, like, perfect, you know? And it's so sad, and I'm so angry and sad that, that what happened happened. You know, I'm both. Um, I don't know, I think this might be the longest Dopey we ever did. So we say... Um, Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you guys for being involved. Thank you guys for caring. Oh, there was another story I wanted to tell. It was about my obsessive phoneness, but I'm not going to tell it. Save it for next time. Save it for next time. All right. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. You want to say goodbye? Yep. Toodles. Before we go, I just want to thank uh, Megan and Bobby and Aunt Nikki and the Addictionary podcast for doing that super funny fucking thing, intro in the beginning. I love that. I want to thank all the dopey Twitter people, fucking whoever you are, Steph and Rox and uh, Activist Style and Mike and Kevin and Adam. And, of course, Hot Wheels is going to come on soon again, come back. And everybody in the Dopey Nation, Facebook people, Andrew and Paulina and Catherine, and you know who you guys all are. And, again, thank you to Brandon Novak for coming on and check out his comic, The Brandon Novak Chronicles, at brandonnovak.com. And... um, and super big thank you to Alana Dirksen, a.k.a. Hot Girl Fucked by Life, a.k.a. 
white Lamborghini Countach for that super fun and sick Archie Acid art. And thanks to Lee Tricecat for his dopey art. Upcoming dopey art is coming soon. I think we're going to do a live dopey the end of October in Manhattan. So put it on your calendar. If you guys want to come, let me know. It's going to be, I think, October 20th on the Lower East Side. But I'm putting this at the end of the episode. We'll see who's actually listening. Fucking thank you to all the Instagram people. Thank you to Cormac on Reddit. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to Chris. I love you. I miss you. It sucks that you died. You're a fucking idiot. You make me super angry. But, um... I hope you're resting in peace and you are uh, enjoying Dopey and Cable from whatever cloud you're staying on and missed you, Todd, and, you know, everybody out there, Andrew and Dave and Troy and all of the people who died recently. And today, uh, I just was just posting the episode and I see that Mac Miller just died, um, this rap guy, and uh, everybody's dying and it's because... um, the dope is too strong. The fentanyl is killing people, but also heroin kills people. You know, if you're a drug addict, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to die. So if you don't want to die, I would really, really look into recovery. Um, I actually started going to uh, a new meeting this week, and it was fucking great. So I recommend that. Do whatever works for you. If you're struggling, please reach out. Dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Be in touch. Talk to your friends. Take care. Stay strong. And toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad, I wanna be good, so bad, bad desire's all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller, smaller, and it's time to where I stand, shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand. Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 
And they suck it like a man That's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And that's all I ever had And that's all I ever had And that's all I ever had